Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Hello there, my guest today is the founder of the Singing for Health Network, who has worked in music for well-being and music education for over 20 years. She is the director of the charity Music for Good and holds a master's degree in vocal pedagogy through the Voice Study Centre, where she is now a senior lecturer. Her research can be found in the International Journal for Community Music, and she has been invited to present her findings at many events. It's a pleasure to welcome Emily Falks to the podcast. Emily, how are you doing? Hi there, Alexa. I'm well, thank you. Great. And it's so lovely to have you with us today. And I'm so interested in your story and how it's led you to specialising in singing for health and well-being and how that's led to you birthing Singing for uh, Health Network. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how it's led to where you are today? Gosh, um, yes, I can try. I suppose singing has always been in my life. I've always I've always loved singing. My brother may not agree with that. <laughs> long road trips sat in the back of the car with my headphones on singing along but singing has always been important to me I sang all the way through school I, I had lessons I took exams I then I was a dancer as well so I actually went to university and studied performing arts and dance was my major that was kind of where I thought I was really heading um, and then I ended up um, sort of falling into music education so I, I got my first job in my early 20s working for the National Foundation for Youth Music and so I kind of just that was it I was then in music the world of music education and music for well-being and music to support children and young people in challenging circumstances so that kind of became my my life really um, and I worked with youth music for, for 10 years uh, developing national programs national networks all about supporting young people through music and then in 2008, I found myself moving to Cornwall, where I became involved in a, in a charity, Music for Good, and really because I wanted to get a little bit closer to the, to the work. Uh, working at Youth Music was fantastic, working nationally, being involved in developing programmes, but I was sort of detached from the ground, from, you know, the actual provision. So it was fantastic to then move to Cornwall and be involved in a hands-on organisation where I got to actually dip my toes into becoming a practitioner because that had been not anything that I'd ever really, you know, I taught dance, but I'd never taught music or, or singing. And so it was only when I moved to Cornwall that that became a possibility. So I started stepping into becoming a practitioner as well as the director of the charity. I became involved in, in choirs. I sang with the Eden Project Choir and then started helping run the local choir and then it sort of very quickly moved into more sort of singing for well-being. Alongside that, I should also say that I'm a massage therapist and a Reiki practitioner as well. So people's well-being has always been really important to me. That's always been kind of the core of, of my work, I suppose. And then I, it was when I saw an advert for uh, some, some training with the British Lung Foundation to train to become a singing for lung health practitioner and, and it caught my eye and so I applied and was successful to to re receive a, a place on that training and mentoring and and it was just fantastic that was with Feeney Cave um, and she now has set up the musical breath which is a fantastic resource and she runs training has trained hundreds of, of sing, singing leaders in in singing for lung health so that was kind of my first real step into more um, specific 
Singing for Health. And then I um, started my PG Cert journey with the Voice Study Centre and completed my PG Cert. And through that, I started to do my own research into Singing for Health, which is still a relatively new area in terms of research. It's not new in terms of a, a concept because Singing for Health has been you know, there since since dot, you know, um, it, go, it goes, anecdotal evidence goes back centuries. Um, but in terms of empirical research, it's only really been in the last 20 years that we've seen that. So it's still quite an emerging field. And uh, so my research for my PG cert took me in the direction of looking at um, met trauma, mental health and pain management. And I um, ran a, a pilot research project for people with chronic pain. And that was kind of the end of my PG cert journey. Um, and then alongside that, I was training to be a, a trauma mental health practitioner as well. So that was kind of adding to it. So I, I suppose it's just, as with lots of people's careers, there's little you know bits that come from here and there and, and sort of form this melting pot of experiences and, and professional development. And you end up with this big toolkit um, I suppose, from all of those different experiences. So it's, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. And we know that there are many benefits to singing, as you've mentioned there, anecdotally spanning back years. So what do we know are the benefits for singing for well-being and the physical benefits as well as the emotional ones? Sure. Well, I mean, I would I would just place a big caveat on um, on the research because, um, as I said, the kind of more scientific empirical research has only been around for the last 20, 20 years, um, kickstarted by Dr. Stephen Clift and his team at the Sydney DeHaan Centre in Canterbury. And we have to remember that the, most of the research has been carried out with um, adult adults in groups and adults who have self-selected they've chosen to be there they've chosen to be there because they like singing so I think we have to we have to sort of bear that in mind when we think about the benefits of singing that this is perceived it's subjective um, some of these things are more are more difficult to measure but having said that yes there is an, an enormous amount of research now that does lean towards the idea that singing can support mental health and physical health, that it can form social connections. There was a piece of research that said that singing in a group um, is called, is is an icebreaker. So he he termed it the icebreaker effect because it has this way of connecting people in a way that perhaps other things don't. It breaks down barriers immediately and, and helps us to connect. And I think that really goes back to the fact that we really are hardwired to sing. Mm. We were singing before we were speaking. You know, you think back to, to early man, we were using melody and rhythm in our voices to communicate, to be able to, to, to work together. We, we very soon realised that in order to survive as a species, we had to work together. So we, we're pack animals, mm. we're social beings, uh, and we needed to, to, to be that in order to, to survive and to thrive. Yeah. Um, so singing is, is very much in our genes, it's in our DNA. Um, so it's, it's no wonder that we see singing and chanting, bringing people together at football matches um, in times of crisis. You know, if we think back to a couple of years ago at the beginning of um, the COVID pandemic, the wonderful images and videos that we were seeing of the singing on the balconies in Italy, you know, that's, that's, that's a beautiful example of where um, 
many senses of, of community were stripped away. We, we were isolating. We were not allowed to see people. Mm-hmm. And so in that kind of real state of discontinuity, people were seeking some sense of community, some sense of togetherness. Mm-hmm. And we saw that through the singing on the balconies. And we've seen it again more recently in the, in the heartbreaking scenes with Ukrainian refugees um, you know, collecting together in, in underground spaces and, and again, singing together in solidarity. So, you know, it, it's been seen across across time um, as, a, as a way of just bringing people together um, in all sorts of different circumstances. So that's a really strong part of the, of the research, I think, and a strong um, one of the strong things about singing is that connecting. Um, and then there was some research a few years ago um, that uh, Vikov and his team did in Scandinavia, and they actually measured heart rates and um, breathing of, of people singing together. And they found that the, the breathing and the heart rates of the, everybody in the group synchronized. Mm. They became entrained. They, be, they became entrained with each other and synchronized together. So that was a really, a really great piece of research because it kind of put a little bit of the science to what what we were feeling, you know, to what people were feeling um, in that sense of, of singing together. So something actually biological is is happening. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's such a what a wonderful image that all is of us singing together and and our hearts being synchronized. What led you to your research and, and looking at trauma and pain management? Well, I'll start with pain management, really, because when I was looking at all of the research on singing for health, I kept finding um, studies that talked about the release of endorphins, that singing produces endorphins. Endorphins are our happy, you know, they make us feel feel good. Um, that there are natural painkiller endorphins. Mm. You know, it's it, they were designed to help us to be able to manage pain, to cope with pain. So I, I, I guess I just did a very simple singing produces endorphins which help us with pain and I couldn't really find very many studies or projects that were that were using singing to support people with pain so it was just it was a bit of a no-brainer really I just made that connection and thought well I'll I'll just I'll do my own study and explore that idea of whether whether there's any scope in this you know whether there's any potential that that singing could be a tool to help people with their with their pain and there have been a few other studies um in fact there was one just a couple of years ago in florida where they compared um singing or listening listening to music or just silence and they found that it was the actual singing that um helped people with managing pain better than listening or just silence what was quite surprising to you through your research was there anything that there was a moment of wow or something clicked for you well in my very first initial pilot I had somebody in the group who was struggling on lots of levels and 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 I think the pain and and um and depression are very closely linked so mental health uh, um you know having poor mental health is very much associated with living in chronic pain chronic pain is is um described as as experiencing pain for for more than three months and there's no cure it's not you know we can all have acute pain if we injure ourselves but usually that will get better but if you're living with chronic pain then it's it's that it's a chronic condition that's not going to get better so it can be very very tiring and wearing it can affect people's ability to to live a fulfilling life and so um yeah in the in the very first pilot that I did I had a woman who was you know really rated her quality of life as very very poor 
um, she'd got pain in lots of places, but it was really actually affecting her voice. And she had lots of pain sort of around her, around her throat and neck. And, um, and, uh, and it was just amazing to see that she'd come in sort of looking very tense and, and worried and, and, and not very well. And then at the end of the session or throughout the session, you'd see this kind of blossoming and opening. Um, and, you know, her voice when she spoke was, was very weak. Um, but then when she was singing, it just was coming out, you know, it was just flowing out of her. And it was just, she just, it was just beautiful seeing this kind of freedom that she found. And she said, um, she said, I've been passed around through so many health professionals. And this is the only thing that I think is really, really helping me. Um, she said, she said, I, I feel different in the whites of my eyes. And I, I really, I, it's such a beautiful quote. And I really, I just, I don't, I don't know really what she meant, but, you know, I, I feel, I feel different in the whites of my eyes. And if I could do this every day, I think I would manage my pain, you know, so much better. So it was really, yeah, that was just a real, it, that really stood out. I mean, it was, it was fantastic for the other participants as well. Um, because what we found was that we attracted people who wouldn't necessarily just go to a community choir. They might really like singing, but they'd be fearful of going to a, a regular choir because of their pain, because of not being able to stand up, because of not being able to do all the exercises and then feeling very self-conscious about that. So we created a really safe, nurturing space and it was very gentle. And, and actually the, the, um, the pain programme that we've now developed is, is not just really about singing. Singing is at the core of it, but it's a multimodal programme. So we, we've, we've, we've worked with a psychologist and, um, and I work with a sound therapist. So we use sound, uh, sound healing instruments and mindfulness and breath work and movement and compassion focused therapy kind of underpins underpins the practice so it's become a you know a mix of a mix of things it's not just a pure singing program but that's really evolved over a few years of development of we did, we went um the team we we went and, and did a week's residency at snake maltings in suffolk where we got to really refine and develop and test uh, test the model a bit further and then since then, we've worked with um, we've worked with the NHS. So we're, we're working with our social prescribing team to deliver a singing clinic program. And um, what we've we've refined even further in the pain work is that actually we work differently with people who have got fibromyalgia to people who have got musculoskeletal pain. So there's so we've actually separated those out now. So rather than tackling with pain all in one. There's a very sort of, it's a slight difference, but it is a difference. So we now deliver fibromyalgia groups separately from musculoskeletal pain. So it's become quite nuanced and, and quite detailed, I think, the work because of the journey we've been on. Mm. Mm. And it's so rewarding. It sounds in, from the anecdote from your participant there, extremely rewarding work. Um, and how does this then work with trauma as you say you you've worked you're working with pain in slightly different ways depending on what the pain is that's being experienced so how does it work with the mental health and, and trauma side yeah so I mean that's a whole we could do a whole a whole podcast just on on trauma and mental health but I I think um uh, I'm this is an area that I'm really passionate about and and I've been delivering lots of training in trauma-informed 
practice for singing teachers um, and I'm working with Sing Up and Sing Up Foundation to roll out training more broadly um, to, to singing teachers. And it's not um, about making singing teachers become therapists or counsellors, but it's just bringing awareness into the space, in, whether you're teaching one-to-one -one or, or, or groups, um, just having an awareness so that you can recognise certain behaviours and, and understand what might be going on in terms of the nervous system. So trauma is is something that actually is is about the nervous system. It gets, it's it's um it's not necessarily an event. It's it's within the nervous system, and you may have heard of the terms fight or flight or freeze, and so those are the kind of typical responses that we see if somebody um has has had a lot of trauma and that's sort of got stuck in their system. So there's a, there's a buildup of cortisol. Um, the frontal lobes of the brain are not uh, necessarily as fully developed and they become offline. Um, people flip their lid, you know, the term flip your lid. It's literally, you know, the frontal lobes going offline. And when you're in that state of fight or flight or freeze, you, you can't, um, your brain can't function. You can't, um, something could trigger you and remind you of a, a traumatic event and flip your frontal lobes um, which mean that you can't necessarily tell yourself that you're safe now, you know, because your brain has gone into survival mode and thinks that there's a danger, even if there isn't a danger. Um, so you're, you're flipped into this, this state of, of survival, um, and, and which is why it's very difficult to, um, to tell somebody to calm down when they're in that state, because they just can't. They, they, there's just no, you know, you can't, you can't access that part of your brain that rationalizes <laughs> Um, it's it's gone offline so we have to find other ways to to help to co-regulate and to help sort of ground somebody when they're in that state so we talk about um, the window of tolerance being when you're in your um, opt optimal space for learning so that's when you're um, grounded you're open you're able to be em empathetic uh, you're able to listen you're able to connect um, but if you flip into hyper arousal, then you're flipping into that state where you do, where you just kind of go into a manic state. And, and people that have um, experienced a lot of trauma will find it very difficult to regulate. And so particularly for children that, that we work with, we have to we have to show them how we have to co-regulate with them. We have to show them how to do that. Um, so that they can then learn that for themselves and manage it for themselves. But yeah, it's, it's very hard when, particularly working with children you know in schools and and you see teachers who are just so so stressed and they're managing these big classes and they're managing all sorts of behaviors and and you know it's very difficult to be trauma informed in those circumstances and and you know it just sort of it doesn't help those children because then they get shouted at they get sent out the classroom they go and get isolated and the last thing they need is to be isolated they need to be alongside you know, it's it's so being trauma informed is very very um, much about relation relationships, being relational, being being able to attune, being able to validate and attune with the with the personal or the or the group in front of you. It's a whole area, but but I think um, certainly yeah, I, I think just having an awareness of how trauma can affect the body, can affect the nervous system, and then having some tips and techniques to be able to manage that within the classroom, I think will be of great benefit mm. because singing is so opening, you know, singing is so opening. And, and, and there's a lovely quote by Deb Dana that um, music enables us to touch our suffering safely 
it's a container it's you know I've I've had um, people say to me I've I felt really upset so I, I needed a good cry so I put this piece of music on and it just sort of held me in that process of of having a cry so we know that that music is very emotive and singing particularly because it's 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 our voice <laughs> um so so I think that singing teachers do end up you know with people sort of pouring out um things to them because they're open so I think it's it's important that we learn techniques for that but also about staying very firmly in our lane and knowing you know what we can do and what we can't do and when we need to refer on Mm -hmm. and so what would be your top tip if a singing teacher does experience somebody they're working with having having that moment of the floodgates open and the music has exposed or brought to the surface something that they have suffered or are suffering. How would you advise a singing teacher in your top tip to cope with that and manage that in that moment? I think the most important thing is that is coming back to that relational element is just being alongside. We're not there to fix. We're not there to try and take it away. We just need to listen and be there. And if that means just sitting next to the person, just saying that, you know, this must be really hard for you, you know, really just showing empathy without without asking questions, just being alongside, just just being there, just being relational, being attuned. Um, and I suppose, you know, perhaps suggesting signposting suggesting that they might like to go and speak with somebody uh, in a professional capacity Mm. and where would you send people to look further into the effects of trauma um, and what's happening on the inside well gosh um, I really like the work of Peter Levine um, because he does talk very much about the nervous system and that trauma is is you know it is a nervous system issue uh, Bessel van der Kolk that uh, the body holds the score um, very, very keen on that as well I think um, yeah something else that's quite important is to think about trauma-informed so we work top down and bottom up so top down is working very much on trying to really build the the, uh, the neural pathways of the frontal lobes so we do that through um, being empathetic you know being relational um, through um play play is a really important factor so um you know being playful really helps to to boost oxytocin and and get all those lovely juices flowing around the brain and the body so those are kind of top down techniques and then bottom up is really working through the body through somatics so um particularly for people who are in that freeze state so they're hypo arousal they will have just kind of they'll be very lethargic they won't be very connected to their body um just they'll kind of maybe appear quite vacant and for them you need to upregulate we need to we need to be kind of engaging with with somatic work to build that the sense of um awareness of the body so yeah so there's kind of those those two approaches really so uh Bessel van der Kolk the body holds the score is, is is very sort of body body focused and Peter Levine as well um gosh I don't know there's so much literature Stephen Porges the polyvagal theory if anybody wants mm. to kind of get their head into polyvagal theory so the window of tolerance I was talking about um is the ventral vagal system so that's when we're in our um what Stephen Paul just calls um social engagement that's the, that's the part of the vagus system when we're when we're kind of feeling safe mm. um so yeah if you there's there's a there's a great big book and then there's a, a kind of condensed book of the of the polyvagal theory um but also you know um 
take a look on the Singing for Health network as well for resources there and do look out for training that I'll be offering a bit later in the year too. Yeah, absolutely. And can we actually talk about the Singing for Health network now? And can you just tell us how this came about and what your vision is for it? Yeah, so um, I think it came about quite early on, actually, when I was doing the Singing for Lung Health training and I was meeting other practitioners who were also doing the training and starting to engage with research as well myself. And, and I started to sort of think, well, there seems to be a bit of a gap between research and practice, for starters. And it seems that it's very patchy. Singing for Health is, is very, it's not consistent across the country practitioners are it's not regulated you know in the same way that teaching singing is not regulated but I think um I think it's slightly more concerning because people are working in health settings and working with people with with health conditions and there's no regulation um many practitioners are working independently as, as freelancers they're not attached to an organization or a charity where they've got any kind of protection or support um so I just thought what we need is some kind of body, some kind of umbrella that can hold all of this and bring people together so that people don't feel so isolated and so that we can connect together the researchers, the practitioners, the healthcare professionals, so that we can start to kind of be in the same space together. Um, lots of practitioners don't necessarily go and read research and researchers maybe are not so connected to the practice. And when you look at the research, it very, very rarely talks about the practitioner, who they are, what their background is, how they delivered it, what the pedagogy was, what they actually did in a session. It's missing. They tell you what the research project was and how they did it and what the results were, but there's a bit missing. Mm. Um, so we're really trying to bring together all of those voices and all of those perspectives into the same space to have some, some important discussions, really, and sharing so the, the aim of the, the network really is to bridge research and practice and to generally just support the Singing for Health movement because it, it is a movement. And so we're, we're trying to do that in many ways. We're a very small team and, and uh, you know, we've had kickstart funding from the lottery, but now we're working towards becoming self-sustaining. So we do rely on members joining. It's £25 a year to join, which is, you know, very, very small fee to join the network. And uh, people get access to research summaries. So this was something that we wanted to do kind of really early on was often research is, is very lengthy and quite full of jargon. And um, lots of practitioners and, and healthcare professionals wouldn't necessarily have the time to, to read a great long research study. So we condense it and we provide downloadable printable research summaries on, on key research within Singing for Health. So those, those are accessible for members. And then we've got lots of really lovely articles, videos, um, audio recordings from different perspectives, different people working within Singing for Health, sharing bits of practice, sharing their learning, sharing you know, the challenges. Um, and then we've worked with partners. So we've, we've partnered with SoundSense, with SingArt, with SingArt Foundation, with making music, with Natural Voice Network, um, and we and with social prescribers as well. So we've, we've been working with social prescribing and have produced some free resources for singing groups or singing leaders interested in social prescribing. So it's a whole guide to how to, you know, what social prescribing is, how you could get involved with it, what, what are the kind of things that you'd need to think about. 
And then we produced a guide for link workers as well. So people who are you know, delivering the social prescribing so that they can understand what, what singing can do and how they could go about finding an appropriate singing group for their patients. So those are free, freely accessible as well. And then what else we offer? We've run a, a series of webinars where we've brought together different perspectives within different topics of singing for health. So we've brought together researchers, practitioners, healthcare and participants to, to talk about, you know, a particular area within Singing for Health. And uh, we're launching our own podcast series actually as well. So that's going to be coming very soon. Um, and we're, we're running a whole host of online events. So we're running some that are kind of case studies looking at particular projects. So we've got one coming up that's um, two hospitals that run programs for children and young people, singing programs in hospital settings. So they're gonna be talking about their programs. Um, so that's gonna be really, really fantastic. And then we've got um, some researchers from Norway who did a study into the longitudinal impact of singing on for older people, for group singing for older people. And they're going to be taking us on a real deep dive into their research. So why they did it, you know, who was involved, what they actually did. So it's kind of really getting inside the research project. And then we're planning some think tanks. So we're going to bring together experts on a particular issue. So the first one we've got coming up is on singing for refugees and migrants. Because we're, because we're so um, responsive and, and try to be really flexible to the needs, this is something that's been coming to us from our members because Obviously, you know, we've got a lot of uh, Ukrainians now living in, in the UK and um, singing leaders are being asked to, to run singing sessions. And so we thought, actually, this is this is perhaps a good idea to do something where we can bring together people that are really experienced in this and look at how we could support support it more broadly. So that's that's the, the first one coming up. But we've got yeah, a whole load of, of really fantastic events lined up for the next few months mm. well congratulations it sounds amazing and it's so young still isn't it and that's you've done so much in a short space of time yeah we are really really young and um we've we've got um yeah we've got nearly 200 members and that are subscribing and, and the members we run a monthly uh, networking event just for members just to come together kind of informally um and we've also just we're piloting a, a a more formal structured supervision program so we've got a clinical psychologist who's working with five of our members uh, once a month as to provide group supervision so we're just piloting that as a as a model because again we're really aware that lots of practitioners are working particularly within mental health and and um you know mental health challenges have really risen as a result of covid across the age ranges you know, we're going to really see this, the kind of the ripple effects of this for, for a long time to come. And I think singing is going to be a really important part of recovery for people. And so we're, you know, we're all going to be, I think, as us singing leaders are going to be, you know, working with mental health a lot more. So, and again, many of them are working independently, freelance, and they're, they're, they're holding, they're holding all of this stuff, you know, they're holding you know all of that so we we want to try and support people as much as we can in that mm. and do we to become a member do we just visit visit the website and go that way 
yep just visit the website and and sign up and yep 25 pounds for the year and then you get access to to all of that all of the events non-members can come to the events but they obviously have to pay a small fee to come along so it's if you're interested it's probably better just to just to join and then and then you can be part of it so Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And sorry to mention the C word, which is COVID. It seems like it's just been that word that's hung around for so long now. Um, but working as you have done and do in lung health, can you tell us kind of what you're seeing still in terms of long COVID and, and how we might be picking that up in the studio uh, and what we can be doing potentially to help? Yeah, I mean, again, Alexa, we could do a whole a whole session on long COVID. It's it's a very complex thing, um, COVID and then long COVID, and uh, it it can be well. It's it will be very very different um, for each individual that's got that's got long COVID. So I'm developing work with our long COVID clinic here in Cornwall, and I will only really work with people with long COVID if they've been referred um, from the from the clinic um, because. I think singing is it's a whole body it's a whole body thing it's it's an, an aerobic exercise and for some people recovering that could be a really major major setback for them whereas for others it's okay to do kind of graded you know building up um gradually um, to do more exercise whereas for others it can be very very detrimental so um so I think moving towards a more gentle maybe individualized um, program could be could be more beneficial I think really um, rather than maybe doing group work because everybody's going to have different needs and, and, and be experiencing different symptoms so I think it's one to really to really tread with caution I think um, because even if you're working with somebody with long Covid who says that's it's fine I'm okay I'm okay they may not be you know and they may think they are but actually it could then you know trigger quite a big setback so I would very 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 I'd be very very cautious in working with with people with long COVID and I would definitely be liaising with a healthcare professional. And are there articles on your website for singing uh, the Singing for Health Network are there articles on COVID that we can find there? I think there are a few yes there are a few um I did a lecture on it a few months ago um so I've got some some information on COVID and long COVID and there's the the report from uh ENO so the English National Opera ran a a program called Breathe which was um for people with 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 recovering from COVID long COVID and so that's been published now so people wanted to look at that that's the ENO Breathe program and we're going to be doing a podcast with them and then a panel um with the with the people involved in that research uh, in the new year so um so yes there, there are things around mm, wonderful well emily thank you so much for gifting me some of your time it's been really interesting and i so appreciate it where can people find out more about you and follow the work that you're doing and can you give us the link for your singing for health network website Sure. So the, the Singing for Health is just www.singingforhealthnetwork.co.uk. Um, my charity is musicforgood.uk. Um, people can follow Singing for Health Network on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, I'm Emily Fawkes one on Twitter, if anybody wants to follow me there. Um, I'm working with Sing Up and Sing Up Foundation, so perhaps you might want to, to kind of look there and follow there because we will be launching some training programmes later in the year on trauma and mental health informed practice. Amazing. Thank you so much. 
so did that whet your appetite? Want more of where that came from? Then quench your thirst for knowledge by nerding out in our store where you can purchase a whole host of specialist educational videos for singing teachers, from building your business to fixing vocal faults. Or join our membership to get access to them all in your own geeky CPD library. Head over to www.basttraining.com forward slash store to get going. That's www.basttraining.com forward slash store.